the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Budget 2024 is just a matter of weeks away, with the government so far flagging a package of measures amounting to 6.4 billion euro. So what should we expect from the budget? In the second half of the show, Fiona Redden of the Irish Times and Kevin McLaughlin, Head of Tax at EY, will give me their predictions. First, I asked Cliff Taylor to explain the economic backdrop to the budget. This follows the release this week of Exchequer Returns for August and criticisms from the state's budget watchdog, IFAC, of the government's plans to exceed the spending rules this year. Cliff Taylor, thank you for joining us. It's been an interesting week with a couple of important economic releases out. We had IFAC, which is the Fiscal Advisory Council, the government's budget watchdog, effectively, coming out with a a fairly harsh assessment, I think it's fair to say, of uh, budget plans. They're saying that uh, we risk making the mistakes, same mistakes of the past with our plan to effectively ignore the spending rules. Now, I suppose you have to say that the Fiscal Assessment Council never comes out and warmly congratulates the government on its uh, budget strategy. Indeed. It generally has some criticism to make of the government, and I guess that's the nature of the beast. But compared to previous years, how serious is this assessment? I think it's certainly uh, put in stronger terms than we've seen for a few years now. There was a period in the kind of around 2017, 18, 19, when they were pretty strident in, in what they were saying as well in terms of the government needing to reduce borrowing at that stage, given the strong growth in the economy. But they've generally given the the government kind of a pass mark over the last few years with a few, uh, yeah. with a few caveats. So this certainly is a change of tone. I think their view is that, look, it was fair enough to breach spending rules during COVID and during the first year after perhaps the cost of living crisis, but the government needs to get things back under control now. And, um, you know, what the government said in the summer economic statement, what they indicated was that the spending rule, which would roughly keep spending growth at 5% a year, was going to be set aside again over the next few years when spending is more likely to go up by around 6%. Now, I suppose... Inside government, you you would probably think that uh, Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath feel they did a, a reasonably good job over the summer in terms of the outline budget plans that were signed off by Cabinet, a 6.4 billion package of permanent measures. But despite that, the Fiscal Council were saying, look, you really need to get back to the spending rule. This is what gives credibility to uh, Irish economic policy uh, and kind of puts the public finances on a long-term stable path. And I suspect really what what concerned them was perhaps not so much next year, but the fact that the plans laid out in the summer economic statement more or less saw the the 5% rule being set aside for, 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 for a few years hence. So they didn't like that and reckon that that's going to lead to cumulative additional spending of, of $4 billion, which they, they point out is, is not insignificant. So a bit of tension there. I think perhaps no harm, as you say. You know, what's the fiscal watchdog for except kind of making a nuisance of itself, trying to get into the minds of, of politicians uh, and trying to uh, make sure the public finances are, are on a sustainable path when, when ministers have all these billions yeah, uh, they do operate in front arms, of them. They do operate at arm's length, don't they? I remember talking to Seamus Coffey a few years ago. He was uh, formerly the chair of it and he told me that he'd never never met the Minister for Finance to speak about the budget, to speak about 
and yeah. its assessment of it. I'm sure he met him at yeah, functions yeah. and so on, but they never met formally to sit down and discuss the budget. So they operated that arm's length and the government can take or leave. The yeah, advice. they do. They can, they can take or leave it. I, I think the arm's length is useful because if they were sucked in, if you like, as part of the Department of Finance or whatever, then obviously they're going to be constrained in what they say or, or, or the perception is going to be at least that they'd be constrained in what they say. But they are separate. They get information from the department on kind of a regular basis uh, to do their pre- and post-budget reports. They complain sometimes that the department aren't giving them enough information, uh, aren't being open enough with them. So there is a bit of tension between the two sides there. And I suspect what's happened this week and the forthright nature of uh, what they've said will, will, will increase that. Because as I say, I, I suspect Pascal Dunhu and Michael McGrath felt they did a good job during the summer keeping their cabinet yeah. colleagues in check. And the, and they kind of did, given the amount of money that's around. Uh, but nonetheless, the fiscal council have wrapped Cliff, them on the knuckles. You know, if you listen to, to Michael McGrath in particular, but Pascal as well, if you listen to the two of those, you'd get the impression that they've no intention of loosening the purse strings at all. They're going to keep it really tight. Yeah, We're going to be fiscally very cautious uh, about this. We're not going to lose it around of ourselves like we did in the past. And yet, um, as you say, we're going to be breaching the spending rules yeah. that are currently in place. So just sort of contextualise for us, if you like, uh, those two positions, because they seem at odds with each other. So how are we allowed to, what are the spending rules, first of all, and uh, why are we exceeding them? And how can we exceed them while also being prudent and cautious, as, as they both yeah. suggest publicly? Yeah, I mean, ministers for finance and public spending have to do... Uh, have to walk a delicate line each year and kind of look two directions. On, on the one hand, they have to give out the impression that they're doing a fantastic job with the public finances, that everything is prudent and under control. And on the other hand, uh, they have to tell their cabinet colleagues that things are tighter than they look and they need to uh, pull their horns in, etc. So, you know, it's a difficult thing looking look, look in two directions at once, if you like. I suppose there, there are two things that the Fiscal Council point to that might help to put that in context. The first is the danger of stoking inflation. Uh, so there is a risk that the extra money being spent by the government at the moment, and, and spending is up by the guts of 9% this year when you count temporary and, and uh, permanent measures, etc. So th there is a risk that that adds to inflationary pressures by putting money in people's pockets. We all know the economy is at full capacity at the moment. I suppose traditional economic terms, that would be a period when governments would be pulling in their horns a bit, maybe even increasing taxes slightly, certainly not pushing up spending. But that's been kind of upset by the cost of living crisis, which means that despite the fact the economy is growing very strongly, people don't feel better off. So that's the political reality of it, if you like. Um, so so it is a difficult, it's a difficult balance to strike. And it is difficult to know inflation is coming down. So to what extent... It's what's going to happen in the budget going to add to that, going to add to pressures. You know, it's a difficult call. There are probably other things that are that are more important in the inflationary calculation. For example, um, for example, the level of interest rates, and and the second thing then that the fiscal council has pointed to and pointed to, and it's pointed to this repeatedly over the years, as have officials in the Department of Finance, is the risks of relating to corporation tax. That a lot of the extra spending over the last six or seven years in particular, has effectively been funded by this extraordinarily, extraordinary growth in corporation tax. Sure, and we had uh, exchequer returns uh, this week for last month, for August, yeah. and that showed a blip on the corporation, yeah, a is. downward blip on the corporation tax returns. So is is that bounty over? 
Yeah, we don't know is, is, the, is the answer. It appears the blip may be related to factors within within one or two particular companies. So there was a very strong jump in corporation tax in August last year, August of 2022, which is affecting the comparison with this year. So that that's the first thing to note, I suppose. And it appears that the, the big jump in corporation tax last year was due to a payment by Apple, which has a September year end. So it would be one of the few companies paying a significant amount of corporation tax in August, making their uh, their, their key payment for the year, if, if you like. Uh, so, so therefore, we wonder, uh, did the amount of tax that Apple paid this year, has that fallen back and is that the reason for, for the blip? And, and given, I suppose, that Apple internationally seems to have seems to be doing okay and seems to have turned the corner from whatever it was going through last year. Perhaps that isn't something hugely to be worried about. But I think it does point to two things. One is that there'll be a nervous wait now for November when the companies with the December year-end, which are most of the big companies, make their, uh, make their key tax payments for the year. So the government will be a little nervous, I guess, because of the international recession. The fact that pharmaceutical companies are probably making less profit this year than last year. They, they had a huge bonanza last year because of COVID, some of them. We know the problems in, tech, in the tech sector. So we're a little unsure of the level of profitability of, of, of the key companies making, making tax payments here. So there could be, I don't think there's going to be a, a, a big fall off in corporation tax, but we could see a, a slowing in the rate of growth and, and that could affect the forecast for 2024 and 2025. We just don't know. I think we've gone from a position after, from from about 2015 on, when the wind was behind us, if you like, on corporation taxing from, from all points of view. So we had these massive corporate restructurings uh, involving intellectual property moving to Ireland. Uh, that led to more profit being declared here. These companies were then growing very quickly and making more profits anyway. Some of them got a further boost going through COVID. So everything was going in our direction. And now it's more a mixed picture, I think. There's a slowing international economy. Some companies doing well, some companies doing not so well. Um, we will be boosted next year by the increase in the corporation tax rate to 15%. So that that is a plus. But look, it does illustrate Ireland's reliance on a very small number of companies who make very big tax payments. The Fiscal Council estimates that three big companies account for a third of all corporate tax. So we're not, we're not only reliant on particular sectors, we're reliant yeah. on companies within those sectors. The corporate tax heading was down 1 billion euro year on year yeah. in, in August. So a substantial uh, number. Mind you, from next January, correct me if I'm wrong, the rate, the corporate tax rate globally yeah. goes up uh, 15 to 15% from the current 12.5% here for companies with turnover in excess of 750 million yeah. euros. So there should be an increased corporation yeah. tax rate, all things being equal next year. That's a plus for us, for sure. So, we, you know, the negatives are the international slowdown and, and, and lower profits maybe in some companies. But you're right, the tax rate here is going to go up. I think uh, the Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath, would announce shortly enough the draft legislation to enact that, if you like, uh, and that's going to operate. There will remain one tax rate, the 12.5% rate, and the big companies then will have to pay a top-up uh, to get their rate to 15% or 2.5% top-up, or maybe slightly more in some cases because it's counted slightly differently. Uh, corporation tax never, never being simple, but roughly 2.5% extra. Uh, so yeah, that's going to be a plus. That's going to be a plus for Ireland. There's no doubt about that. So as I said, there's going to be 
things going in, in our favour next year and maybe things going against us. So perhaps the best, you know, the thing to expect next year is that there'll still be growth in corporation tax, but it's going to be maybe maybe the era of massive increases and massive over uh, overpayments every year is is, is now behind yeah. us. And we're, we're, into, we're back to perhaps more more normal times. Just finally on the, on the sort of wider economic outlook, Cliff, we've had a couple of big international bodies come out uh, this week with gloomy forecasts mm. for next year. Some of this is built around the fact that the Chinese economy is going through uh, some difficulties at the moment. Certainly, the property sector there is having uh, is really troubled uh, right now. And you know, a lot of the major economies around the world we kind of notice: uh, Germany, France, UK, even the US. They're they're struggling a bit, um, flatlining at, at best in some cases. So, what's the what's the outlook for for Ireland? Um, there are some jitters around. Should we be worried about the economic outlook for Ireland next year? I think worried worried would probably be overstating it, but I think it is a time to be a little bit cautious. Uh, we've had an extraordinary run of growth, driven first by multinationals and then by the domestic sector rebounding really strongly after COVID. Um, strong tax returns, extraordinary growth in employment. And you'd have to reckon now with unemployment at around 4% uh, and labour shortages across the economy, costs going up, that there are factors that will slow growth next year and the international picture that you've referred to there is another one. Um, so you'd have to think that the top line figures for the Irish economy are going to be slower growth next year um, than this year. Uh, perhaps the multinational sector contributing less in terms of growth. The domestic sector is doing okay. Uh, consumer spending has been, has been strong enough, but people's pockets are under pressure. Um, the cost of living squeeze is going to go on uh, and smaller domestic companies are, are still suffering from pretty serious increases in costs and labour shortages, um, which seems to be leading them to put up prices to consumers, uh, judging by a few uh, coffees that I've bought in the last couple of days when another 20 cent has appeared uh, on the well, price. Well, that's because the 9% fat rate is gone. It's gone up to absolutely. and yeah, a half percent. Absolutely. And uh, the small companies then say, they can't that, absorb. That they can't absorb that and that there's going to be another hit next year when the minimum wage goes up by 12%. Mind you, Cliff, you also get the sense that there's a lot of uh, money still, uh, a lot of debt still warehoused with yeah. revenue. And we're talking about very small uh, SMEs, uh, small and medium-sized companies who have this debt warehoused at the moment. At some point, they've got to pay it off. And if they don't pay it off soon, they're going to be paying a rate of interest on it. And there is this sense out there within the business community that a lot of those companies are going to go to the wall. Yeah, I think a lot of small. I think that's right, and I've heard that from a, a few accountants and, and legal people around town as well. There's there is some concern about that. The day of reckoning. Absolutely, yeah. Now whether the day of reckoning may be may be put off by changes in rules o o over the years, but 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 I think there is for a lot of small companies, and a lot of them have held in over have held in over the COVID years. Uh, but you can see around the place that the SME sector is still, in many cases, struggling, uh, in many cases, suffering from higher costs, uh, hanging on in there. Uh, and as you say, if people are forced then to settle up these debts with the revenue that were built up during the COVID years, uh, I think that is likely to push some of them over the edge. And certainly some con concern around that heading into next year. I mean, there are really serious costs coming additional costs coming on companies as well. If you if you add up what's happening 
from changes in people's social uh, entitlements, uh, from the minimum wage, uh, auto enrolment, if it comes in in the second half next year, is going to be a big factor for many small companies, which I expect a lot of them haven't counted into their calculations yet, but that's going to increase their payroll costs. Uh, so, so costs are just being added on and on and on. And there's probably not a lot in the positive column for companies. Energy costs, okay, are going to come down. Mm. And hopefully will come down a fair bit. But but the balance, is di- the balance, I think, for companies is difficult. It's difficult, yeah. Now, the government has sort of flagged that it's going to have a 65 billion euro surplus over the next yeah. uh, few years. And one of the ways in which they might use this money, it's been suggested a new state investment fund might be set up. IFAC actually yeah. not in favour of this idea. I know, yeah. Um, I think this is one of the political rouse of the autumn which is now coming up Michael McGrath and Pascal Donoghue earlier this year put forward this idea of the state establishing some kind of sovereign wealth fund for want of a better name from all this vast excess of corporation tax that we're hopefully going to continue to get over the next few years and the original idea was that this money would be invested and built up over 10 or 15 years and that in time we would start to use the interest coming from that to pay, out, to pay some of the ongoing bills of the Exchequer, for example, increasing pension costs, because we all know when pension costs are going to increase in Ireland because the population is getting older. Now, I think as so- the summer has gone on, there's been a bit of a realisation that politically this is a bit difficult because on the one hand, the state has a huge bag of money. Yeah. And on the other hand, there's these huge investment needs to build houses, to build roads, to build train lines, etc., etc., etc. So moving into the autumn then, the idea was changed that there would be two funds set up. One would be the wealth fund, for want of a better name, and the other would be an investment fund. Now, are there going to be two funds or one fund or one fund with two different parts? What's going to happen to the money that's in the, in the National Reserve Fund at the moment? We, you know, There's a lot of detail we don't know yet. Uh, but I think there's a big political decision to be made. Mm. Uh, and I think what's, wonder, what's worrying IFAC is that if too much of the money goes into the investment fund side of the equation that will be more, that will fund more increases in spending over bit the next prices. few years, bid up prices. And the problem for the state, as we know, investing at the moment in things like houses is there aren't any construction workers spare. Uh, costs are going up and there's a risk that if the state starts to throw out money right, left and centre, then it's going to get very bad value for that money. Uh, and a lot of that money would end up being wasted. Flip side is the huge political pressure ahead of a general election to get more houses built. So we've seen, uh, for example, the Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien, uh, try to lay claim with t- to a fair bit of the spare money by saying, hey, I'd like a bit of that. I can build more houses. I can underwrite uh, apartment building by p- the private sector, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there are really important decisions to be made on that by the Cabinet. And they're going to have to make them pretty pretty soon, I think, because they'll have to, they may not have to have that completely sorted out by the budget, but they're going to have to have, I think, a general view of, of where they're going by the budget time. I expect the legislation, et cetera, will probably go into next year. But they're going to have to have something to say on budget day about all that. And politically, it's hugely sensitive because you can hear Pierce Doherty standing up after uh, Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath sit down and, and saying, well, we've all this money. Why aren't you building more houses? Why aren't you? Why aren't you? Why aren't you? Yeah. Paying more to households, helping people with their mortgage bills, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's uh, it's interesting. Cliff Taylor, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Kieran. We're going to take a short break now. When I return, Fiona Redden and Kevin McLaughlin will give me their predictions for Budget 2024. Back in a few moments. At EY. 
Our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Welcome back to Inside Business. Now, Budget 2024 is on the horizon with a package of €6.4 billion Euro in tax and spending measures. Fiona Redden of the Irish Times and Kevin McLaughlin, Head of Tax at EY, join me for this segment. I began by asking Fiona to outline what main measures she expects from this year's budget. I think this year the budget's kind of a budget of two halves in a sense, because on the one hand you have your typical tax package budget, which is not going to be that different, I would expect, from years gone by. And then on the other hand, you might have a bit of a bonanza in terms of one-off spending measures. Um, to look at the tax package first, they've set aside about $1.1 billion, which is kind of spot on what they did last year. And it might sound a lot, but when you break it down, it's it isn't really. actually that much money to go around. Now, last year, what it came out as someone earning 40,000, they got back about 800 euro a year, a couple, about 1,600 a year. As a result of the tax measures. As a result of the tax measures, yeah. Being expanded, essentially. Yeah, and specifically it was, they they expanded it, I think it was about 3,200 euro. So do you expect something similar this year? Something similar, yeah. I mean, it's expensive if you increase the tax ban by about 1,500 euros. So that's, you know, you're paying an additional 1,500 euro, 20% tax. That costs 363 million. How much money does it put in someone's pocket? Um, Well, it's 1,500, so it's 20% instead of 40%. Mm. Okay, so it's, you know, it's it's significant. It is significant. Last year, as I said, it was about 3,200 and that was, came out about 800. All right, any other personal taxation measures likely? Yeah, there's possibly going to be maybe a little bit of a tweaking with USC, maybe a little bit of a reduction there. PRSI, if they increase the minimum wage, you know, they'll try and keep people earning the same amount there. But I suppose a big point to, to note with regards to tax cuts is it really a tax cut? You know, inflation is running so high. It's more of a, like an inflation adjustment, I'd say, rather than a tax cut. Mm. With earnings growth, you're really just keeping people as they were yeah. rather than any real reduction in how much tax you're paying. What about benefits, uh, let's say the state pension, for example, or child benefit? Well, What's that's the there? other side of it, isn't it? Because they have set aside a budget for one-off kind of measures given the um, soaring cost of living. So last year, the state pension increased by €12 Euro a week. So you probably expect something maybe along those lines again. Um, They can also do one-off measures. We got some double payments last year. There was double child benefit twice in the year. There was the €600 electricity credit. Um, You might have seen the tax strategy papers over the summer. They said this is a much better way of giving money back to people rather than tinkering with tax. So it seems to be the way they're going. They're not going to do anything crazy on the tax side. It doesn't bake the cost into permanent measures uh, exactly. it doesn't become a permanent it doesn't uh, cost become a permanent state, measure which then needs a legislative effort you mm. know to take it back and also you've got to go back out to the voting public and say actually we can't afford that anymore so we're taking it back the court child benefit rate hasn't actually gone up in years has it? no no I think a long time maybe 2016 yeah. Um, what about carers? Can they expect anything? Any, any yeah, last or? year it was kind of all the core benefits increased by about €12 Euro a week. Right. Um, last year as well, you might remember, we had the big, the rent credit, which was the reintroduction of that um, €500 Euro a year, which isn't that unattractive. But surprisingly, it wasn't. there wasn't a huge take-up of it. Now, they might look to increase it this year, 
But again, if people didn't actually go and claim it, you'd wonder, is that the best way of helping um, renters? There has been talk about mortgage tax relief coming back. Do you see that happening? I think I'd probably not, given again that they've only got the 1.1 billion and um, you're targeting homeowners there. Um, as opposed to the renters and maybe politically it's a decision, you know, I suppose the background to all this budget, isn't it, is an election looming sure. sometime next year. There was huge disappointment among the landlord sector last year that there was nothing for them essentially in the budget or so they felt anyway. Uh, is there a sense that something might happen this year because we've continued to see an exodus of uh, small landlords from the yeah. market? I imagine there will be something, but will it be more optics rather than anything substantial? Um, they might I think last year they increased, you know, that you could use pre-letting expenses to reduce the amount of tax you paid. A big bugbear has always been the local property tax, that you can't offset that against your tax payment. I mean, if you did do that, it would it would be more substantial than other measures they've introduced. But again, it's possibly not going to be anything massive enough to stop the, the flow of these landlords leaving the market. Sure. Uh, Kevin McLaughlin, what's EY's view on what the government might do, let's say, for businesses or entrepreneurs? Yeah, I, th- I think probably a little bit like last year, the focus would be expected to be very much at an individual level rather than necessarily business. I think what businesses will look for, I think, is, you know, again, probably like last year, some signalling around future um, uh, fiscal policy. So I don't think it's necessarily just about next year's budget. It actually is looking for a bit more certainty, I would think, beyond that. Especially so give us an example. Yeah, I think it's probably so. I, I think one of the big things that that um, that hasn't necessarily been that hasn't featured it really as far as the pre-budget speculation is the fact that actually the, this year's finance bill, which will land on the same day as the budget, actually will include some really significant measures around the international tax policy reform agenda, the so-called BEPS 2.0. So we're promised a telephone directory size um, piece of legislation there, which I think is really strategically important for Ireland in terms of you know stability of its tax regime so this is the you know the legislation that will effectively implement the the minimum tax the move to 15% Correct. minimum tax rate from the 12.5% Correct rate. and that's been long signaled obviously the government has, has mm. made its intentions very clear for for a considerable period of time but I think it would be really important in terms of how that's messaged probably more importantly actually how that the law is drafted to implement that to reassure businesses that that position is exactly as has been communicated over a period of time why does it need to be the size of a telephone directory because it seems to be quite clear cut, no? I think it's 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 um, it's quite complex, and and that's obviously one of a number of measures that are going to be introduced. So, I, I think getting this right technically is is challenging. Mm-hmm. Tax law, by its nature, I think tends to be quite challenging because you're trying to kind of be very clear around what you're trying to do. You're trying to to minimise any risk for for abuse in the process. So, as a consequence, the language invariably ends up a little bit tortuous as a consequence of that. Okay, and just to be clear, companies with a turnover of less than seven hundred and fifty million, they continue under twelve and a half percent. Correct. So again, that's one of the messages that needs to be re-emphasised very clearly. Ireland will still retain a 12.5% rate for businesses up to that that scale. There is a separate OECD process, isn't there, as to where um, corporation tax should be allocated in terms of uh, you know where companies are actually doing their their real activity. Where where it's been stalled 
for a while. Uh, what's your understanding yeah, where that process it's, it's, is? At? It's still moving, but it's it's relatively okay. slow. Because that say. could be more important for Ireland in the long run. Couldn't I it? think certainly when you look at what Ireland has projected in terms of potential losses from you know both of these kind of agenda mm. items. You know, it's probably more that measure that Ireland has in mind in terms of when it projected a number of years ago that it could lose up to two billion euros in terms of its tax take. So, but again, I think it's probably it's probably a more sensitive one between countries because you really are looking at actually where does current tax revenue where the should where should that be collected in future years? So, I would imagine it's probably as a result politically more difficult to get agreed. Has EY done any number crunching on what the increase to fifteen percent might mean? for exchequer returns for corporation tax? No, not particularly. And I think that's quite difficult to, to, to project forward. And I think that's probably clear as well from a lot of the commentary around just the stability of corporation tax revenues generally, because fundamentally it does, it's not just about corporation tax revenues itself, it's the concentration of actually a significant part of that take amongst a small number of businesses. So without having access, I suppose, to that specific data, that's quite difficult to project actually what it'll do going forward. Right. So are you expecting any specific measures for businesses or entrepreneurs outside of that? I, I don't think we'd expect anything significant. Probably, uh, I would say, a little bit like Fiona has said on the personal side, it'll be probably a reiteration of some of the measures last year. I think energy will be one that, that businesses will look towards, um, though prices seems to have stabilised there. I think for business, competitiveness is still a, a key thing. I mean, we are still at full employment. There's a lot of wage pressure in the economy. I think Employers might look to say some of the proposed income tax reductions as part of a way actually of putting more money in, in employees' pockets to take the, the pressure off perhaps higher levels of, of pay increases. So I think competitiveness in terms of infrastructure, housing and wage costs would be would be very much front of mind. But I'm not sure we'll have hugely significant measures across those announced. I'm sure EY put in a pre-budget submission. What's on your wish list? Yeah, um, well, we didn't, as a matter of fact. Um, but I, I mean, I think for me, it is it is really looking at stability. Like I think we're in very different territory here in terms of the surpluses that the government is running and has projected it will continue to run over the next few years. So I think, you know, certainly for us and our clients, it is very much trying to get a bit of clarity around how the government is going to deal with that. There's been lots of conversations, I guess, around not just the, the National Reserve Fund, but but setting up what seems to be more like a sovereign wealth type of idea in terms of longer term management of these surpluses rather than the rainy day fund, which I guess is is more to do with short term liquidity. So I think and I'd say, you know, particularly interested in to what extent uh, you know, infrastructure and investment in infrastructure is part of that longer term planning. Now, the Fiscal Advisory Council doesn't seem to be a fan of this idea of a new investment fund. Yeah, I think, uh, and, and I did read their their uh, report this morning. I think um, fundamentally, it seems to come down to the fact that they they have concerns around the amount of of, of money that's being set aside to spend, and I think it's projected to be just over six percent versus what had been committed to as five percent. I've heard the government say that actually they think these are exceptional circumstances. So the plan to to do five percent or to stick to five percent, they would say kind of all bets are off. While mm -hmm. we're in quite a turbulent economic situation. So what's your view? On what the government should do with the 65 billion surplus over the next three, four years? Yeah, I think the, the government is being prudent in the sense of trying to project actually what the, let's say, the volatile element of, of tax revenues might be and to look at actually how it invests that into some short-term measures, investment in infrastructure, but actually longer-term saving. Um, I, I think that would certainly make sense. Mm, okay. Um, 
Is the business community lobbying for anything in particular? Obviously, the 9% VAT rate went for the hospitality sector. I think that argument's over. I don't think that's going to be revisited at any point. Uh, yeah, and, and it is interesting, actually, in the context of the billion that's being talked about for tax measures. I mean, you know, that reinstatement of 13.5% will generate three to 400 million. The, the reinstatement of excise duties is probably another 300 million. So in reality, the actual tax measures themselves might be a little bit more than that. There's a little bit more room to play with. I think business, particularly indigenous business, would always be looking for measures to support Irish business in terms of its ability to compete internationally, which again fundamentally comes down to the ability to attract talented labour, skilled labour, costs of infrastructure, cost of housing, etc. Yeah, housing must be a big issue for your clients. I think it's a big issue for, for, for business generally, absolutely. It's fundamentally linked to the availability of talent and the mobility of talent, which again Ireland, I suppose, is very yeah. dependent on. I mean, you guys do a lot of work with international clients. Are you aware of any FDI clients that have pulled back from expansion here because of the issue of housing? Not, not particularly. Um, uh, it, it is definitely, and particularly as, say, globally, mm. um, countries move to a kind of a global minimum tax. There's definitely much more focus when companies assess location decisions around the, the non-tax uh, measures. So that is the quality of people, availability of housing, infrastructure. So it, it has always been an issue, I'd say, but probably particularly acute now. I'm not aware of, of companies that have said they won't invest here simply because of that. And there's definitely, I would say, a fairly good stream of, of announcements in the last number of months which, which suggest that international business still sees Ireland as a very positive location. Some of that, I think, is infrastructure. I think a lot of it is to do with stability. So our tax policy has been very stable. Hence, I think for us, mm. the need to keep that message around future st stability and as much certainty as you can give to business longer term, that actually is really important. Yeah. Uh, Fiona, what about housing? It's, it's obviously a big issue. Um, what's the government likely to say in the budget around housing? What measures uh, might we expect? Um, so I've mentioned there the rent credit on the rental side. They might mm. do something with that. You have the help to buy scheme that's due to run out in 2024, which gives you a tax rebate when you're buying a new house. Could be extended? It could be. It's likely to be extended. You've got the Has share that worked, equity. Fiona? Um, I mean, it's worked in the sense that it has helped people to buy new houses. Where I think it hasn't helped is I would suggest that these people could have afforded to buy a house anyway. A lot of them. A lot of them. Obviously. Not all them. No, yeah. no, but if you if you look at the figures, a lot of them don't um take the full amount or that they have a mortgage of maybe eighty, eighty five percent. So it's not really targeting the people who may need the most help to get on the housing ladder. And then on the other side, of course, if you're giving someone thirty grand towards a house that must just, um, and I think the evidence, particularly in the UK, has shown that it increases house prices. Just leads to house price inflation? Yeah, at least. I mean, Do we it, have any evidence of that here? Um, I don't think so. But in the UK, it's quite strong now, to be fair. Mm, okay. um, it's very much a demand side measure, isn't it? And presumably money will be set aside, Kevin, for, for housing, for new housing, for social and affordable housing, try and help local authorities procure housing. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's already been announced that of the so-called windfall element mm. of taxes that, that I think the, the number is about two, two and a half billion is being ring-fenced for housing and other infrastructure. So again, probably see, see a continuation of some of the measures that were announced last year. But I suppose they have that money, but they don't always spend it. That's what's been shown in the past, isn't it? Yeah. They put aside the money. 
Should we be storing up this money in sovereign wealth funds or investment funds or pension funds, call them what you, what you like, or should we sp- be spending it in the here and now? Because a lot of people feel they need it. A lot of people feel their standard of living has decreased and there are so many pressures in the economy, uh, you know, in terms of housing and infrastructure and so forth. Yeah, I think the government seems to be in a position where it can do both. So it seems to be in a position where actually it can put more into the, the reserve fund, which is short-term liquidity, you know, so that I suppose is accessible at any stage if the government needs it, and then actually kind of longer term um, uh, investment, I would say, where they can generate a return and growth on, on surplus. So that is probably a position of relative luxury, I think, for a lot of countries at the moment. What's the EY view on the Irish economy for next year? Because we've had a couple of reports this week from big global bodies warning, um, talking about a gloomy outlook for next year. And we know there's a lot of pressure in the Chinese economy to property sector there really hurting at the moment. The UK, Germany, France, US, they've all got their struggles at the moment. These are important markets for us. So we're at full tilt here. We're at record employment, very low unemployment, but we've got these constraints as well. So what's the future for the Irish economy? I think we'd remain cautiously optimistic. I suppose if you think about it, it's probably four to five years of a combination of Brexit into COVID into kind of international stability, war, etc. And, you know, unquestionably where Ireland sits in the global economy, it's very susceptible to, you know, the kind of ebbs and flows there. But I think the fundamentals seem to be pretty strong. I think Ireland remains a very attractive place for foreign investors to do business. And I think Irish business is actually pretty well positioned to continue to exploit uh, international markets. What do you think of the IFAX assessment that we run the risk of repeating Ireland's past mistakes with our budgetary policy? Yeah, I, I think that's one where, again, I think setting a rule a number of years ago in different circumstances and sticking to it regardless is probably one that's open to debate. And I think the government has obviously decided that it feels the circumstances here are extenuating enough that it needs to take further action from a spending perspective. I suppose it has the luxury from a budgetary perspective of being able to do that while at the same time setting money aside. I suppose only time will tell ultimately whether they're they're correct or not. Fiona, you're surprised they're not loosening the purse strings a bit more. It's what, probably two budgets till the next election and Sinn Féin riding high in the polls, looking set for government next time around if, uh, if the indication, current indications are correct? Um, well, I mean, on the one hand, you could say they're not loosening the strings, but on the other hand, we don't really know with the one-off spending measures. I mean, if they do something similar to last year, you know, you eat 600, you'd double child benefit, double pet state pension. That actually was worth, you know, more than a thousand euro to most households, which is significant. So, um, but I suppose it doesn't attract the same headline as a giveaway budget because it's a one-off measure. People don't seem to appreciate that. But I mean, they have the financial capacity to go well beyond that in terms of giving money. I know. I mean, as you've mentioned, people are feeling, you know, the the pressure of price increases at the moment. And one thing that people would like to see some movement on is the universal social charge, which of course was a temporary measure and it's still there and it's probably never going to go. But um, it's one bugbear of many people that it's just like an excess taxation that people are paying. Yeah, and that comes off off the top, doesn't it? Yeah, but of course, I mean, everyone almost pays it, unlike income tax, because it kicks in at about, I think, 13,000, isn't it? But it it therefore brings in so much money. I mean, it brings in about 5 billion a year. Corporation tax, which gets all the headlines, only brings in about 22 billion. 
So we know a quarter of that is USC. So you can see why they're yeah. so reluctant well, to shift it's, on it's it. quite substantial and it's uh, a multiple of what it was uh, a few years Absolutely, ago. Absolutely, but you wouldn't think that USC one yeah. small tax would, would, would represent 25% of corporation tax. Kevin, we had exchequer returns this week for August. It showed that the corporation tax take was down 1 billion euro year on year. Should we be worried about that? Uh, I don't think I think it'd be premature to, to be worried about it. I think the the comparison um, last year in terms of August 2022 seemed to be a, abnormally high. So relative to that, it's down. But I don't think anybody's kind of drawing any particular themes from that. It's mm. probably seen to be more that the the August 22 numbers were anomalous than that the August 23 numbers. So November is another key month, isn't it? Before year end, when companies um, make returns. To, to revenue. If we see that number down year on year, should we be worried? Yeah, I mean, I think there's certainly no signals coming from the Department of Finance that they see any significant mm. change short term. I think, um, and certainly based on their projections there, they would say in that the near future being the next three three plus years, they, they continue to expect uh, corporation tax revenues to continue to rise. Um, I mean, yeah, the peak payment months are probably between now and, and Christmas, particularly in the income tax side in November. So, I mean, it'd be a good indicator generally as to the health of the, the exchequer finances. You're on the front line of the economy dealing with clients. Have you seen any tapering off of business activity over recent months? Or are companies, are your clients still going gangbusters? Yeah, I, I think it's it's a it's a very interesting time for business. Um, there's lots of volatility out there, and you know, uh, I suppose a lot of entrepreneurs, particularly, will often look to see opportunity in in those circumstances. Um, I think the part of the market that is probably particularly quiet and has been for some time is you know M um, and A or deal activity. That's been quiet for some time in terms of core corporate transactions, but again. That's not universal, so there's a lot of transactions happening in the energy space, particularly around green energy, probably a lot in the, the real estate um, towards the end of last year. And the expectation is that will recover at a point in time. Nobody's quite sure exactly when, and there's probably a sense that maybe prices need to settle at a level before before business will get back involved. But I don't think that's necessarily at this stage seen as a very long a very long term thing. Probably the view is that we'll recover early next calendar year. But other than that. Um, you know, I think it is a challenging time for, for business generally because there's, you know, a lot of volatility out there. But as I say, a lot of businesses will look for the opportunity in that. Mm. OK, just finally ask you, uh, both of you, expect any surprises out of this budget? Um, they framed it as a, a 6.4 billion euro package of measures, although we've seen in recent years that the early flagging of of the figure, um, they generally exceed it. They find a bit more money down the side of the couch. Uh, would you expect that again, Kevin? Any surprises uh, up their sleeves, do you think? I, I don't think so. And I think, as Fiona said earlier, like the balance here is going to be very much geared towards spending measures. I think they're even saying that'll be over 5 billion relative to tax measures, which would be one. So I don't expect any particular surprises on the tax side and probably more of the same in terms of some of the targeted spending measures from last year. OK, Fiona, boring, boring budget. No, I think, I mean, as I said before, there is an election looming. I think they want to get some headlines out of this budget, very favourable to them. So I think there there will be one or two surprises, perhaps. Fiona Redden and Kevin McLaughlin, thank you for joining us. Thanks. Thank you.
Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Cliff Taylor, Fiona Redden and Kevin McLaughlin for joining me on the show. John Casey produced this episode with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. Remember, as a subscriber to the Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.